Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Isaiah chapter 13. Have you ever wondered, and I know that probably many people in the world have wondered, have you ever wondered if God really sees what's going on in the world? Have you ever wondered if he he, he actually looks down and and can tell all of the, I would just call them shenanigans, all the things that people are doing, all all the evil, all the bad things that people are doing? And in the same instance, does he see all the good things that people are doing? But let's bring it a little closer. Do you ever wonder if, if God looks down and can see what our nation is doing? Does he see the evil that spills out of the halls of our government when there seems to be no consideration for the effects that it has on the poor or on people and how it violates God's law? And we can even take a little further. Do you, do you think that God actually sees everything we do? This is a question that many in the world is, are asking and has led many to believe he doesn't. But we know the fact is that he does. If we go to the book of Psalm, chapter 14, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, if there are any who seek God. And what does he see? He says, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. You see, nobody... No leader of any country, no mayor of any town, no governor of any state rules without no without God seeing what they're doing, and even more so without God knowing in their heart why they're doing it. Ignorance of God's law is no excuse, and ignorance is not bliss when it comes to God. Now Isaiah is going to be looking out at the events that God is he's revealing to him about Judah. He's, he's seeing things that are going to happen. And he reveals to him the push and the shove of human politics. But also what he sees, Isaiah is going to see, is he sees God working powerfully in salvation to bring about it according to his plan. Now, we, we long for God to judge the wicked. And probably none of us have, have watched the news or seen but the terrible things that are happening and thought, you know, we, we've all probably thought that, man, God should just, he should just take care of this. Just come, Lord Jesus, for goodness sakes. It just, it, it can't go on. How much more can this world take? We'd love to see fire and brimstone land on certain places, right? Certain people, especially on those who hurt us. 
We'd love for God to judge them instantly for their sins, which we have to be careful of because he'd do the same thing to us. (laughs) But we especially would like for God to take care of those who have no regard for God's laws, especially no regard for him. But God is acting, when he does act in that way, it's a rarity. God, God normally doesn't just instantaneously judge someone for their sins. Yes, he, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, he, and God will usually use men to execute judgment on nations. And yes, he did in, in, in uh, the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, he killed them instantly. But that's not normally how he acts. Normally he acts through people. He'll act through nations. He'll act through leaders to execute his judgment on the nations and on people. So let's go to Isaiah 13. Because remember, Judah and Israel, two separate nations now, and Israel, the northern nation, had been conquered by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were constantly you know, coming after Judah. They were coming after Jerusalem, wanting to overtake it also, but they weren't able to. But the people were worried and they were scared who were in Jerusalem. So God reveals to them that it's not going to be Jerusalem, or it's not going to be Assyria that takes Jerusalem. It's going to be another nation. It's going to be Babylon. But even then, God is not finished. So let's look at verses 1 through 3 to begin. It says, the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw, on a bare hill raise a signal, cry aloud to them, wave the hand for them to enter the gates of the nobles. I myself have commanded my consecrated ones and have summoned my mighty men, men to execute my anger, my proudly exulting ones. See, Isaiah had been encouraging the people of Judah to have courage. God, God's got this. God's going to take care of it. It's okay. The Assyrians are not going to take it. Their threats are not going to be anything. Because Assyria was not going to be Judah's problem. Babylon was. And isn't that usually how it happens? A lot of times you and I, were, we're worried about something that's, that's causing us stress or something in our life that's pushing us down. And, and in reality, that's really not the main problem. There's something else over here that's outside of our vision, but not outside of God's. And he's using this to teach us. I mean, as powerful as Assyria was, and it was powerful, Babylon would soon be greater. Babylon is going to rise to power at the end of the 7th century B.C. Jerusalem gets attacked in three different stages. And you can read this story in 2 Kings chapter 24. But the amazing thing about it is that also Babylon's days are numbered. We can see in 2 Kings 24, we can see the downfall of Babylon. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans and bands of the Syrians and bands of the Moabites and bands of the Ammonites and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. So God's going to use Babylon to overtake Jerusalem instead of the Assyrians. But even Babylon is not free to do as they please. They too will come under judgment of the Almighty. 
And that's what we're seeing here in Isaiah 13. And what Isaiah does is he gives us a ringside seat to see what's going to happen. This has not happened yet. Isaiah is being revealed, God is revealing to him a future event. And this is what he says in verse 4 and 5. He says, The sound of the tumult is on the mountains as of a great multitude, the sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. They come from a distant land, from the land, the end of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Now, we must understand a few things about God. Sometimes God allows war. I mean, if God is sovereign and there's war, God must allow it. But there are other times that God brings it on, that God instigates it. He starts it. And the Babylonians are now going to come under judgment because all nations must bear the consequences of their actions. See, what would happen is when Israel would sin, God would, would draw his covering from them. He would, he would draw the, his protection from them. Because they withdrew from him. And the other nations would come, whether it was the Philistines, the Moabites, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, they would all they would come and they would conquer and they would punish Israel for what they were doing. This is one of the reasons why Assyria and Babylon had risen to such a great power. God put them there for his purpose. If we go to the book of Daniel, and Daniel was one of the first group of people who were captured in Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. This is in chapter 2, starting with verse 19. This is what David says. He says, and then, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what it is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. See, God, he, he starts the seasons, he ends the seasons. He puts kings in place, and he takes them out. So what does that mean? That means, yes, we do have free elections. Got one coming up Tuesday where we can decide who's going to be in the the um, the election in November. But to be honest with you, the truth is, it's God who makes it happen. It's God who puts kings in places and takes them out of places, not us. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't vote. That means we should, because God is using us to fulfill His will. See, the Assyrians had been a, a tool of God to judge the northern tribes of Israel. And Babylon would, was also put there to judge the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And ultimately what's going to happen, we know from history, that the, the Medo-Persian Empire is going to come in after the Babylonians. The Medo-Persian Empire is there to judge the Babylonians. Now, in, in what we read 
back in, in verse 3 of chapter 13, it says, it says God calls his consecrated ones. That doesn't mean that they are holy. Just because, listen, just because God, cre- I believe God did have a hand. He, remember, he puts kings in place and takes them away. Just because God had a hand in creating our country doesn't mean that we are especially blessed by God and we can do whatever we want because God's on our side. That's not what that means. That means as long as we are following God's laws, as long as we are doing God's will, yes, he will protect us. But when we ignore him, there's no guarantee that he will protect us. But those consecrated ones means that they have been set apart for a purpose. God's purpose, he had a purpose for them, as he has for every nation, as he has for all of us. Now, I, I want to I I clarify this. In the, in the churches today, a lot of churches will preach about the fact that God has a purpose for you. And it's, he's to, it's to make you great. You're to be great with God. And that's not true. Now, for some, maybe it is. But he does have a purpose for all of us. We all have the same purpose. It's to love God with everything we have, heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. To go, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them. We're to love each other. We're to care for each other. We're to care for the widows and the orphans. We're to do whatever we can for those who are in need. We were at Grace and Mercy House yesterday for the open house, and, and just seeing the joy on the faces of the, of the families that were there. It's amazing what we can do. So that's our mission. That's, our, that's what God's purpose is for us. Mostly to worship Him and to obey His laws and be His people. Verse 6 of Isaiah 13 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty it will come. Therefore all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs of agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Now you can imagine when, when the people of Isaiah's time were reading this, they were thinking, oh, oh, he's talking about when Babylon comes in. Because he just talked about that earlier. This is, this is what's going to happen to us. And yes, it is. But with prophecy, there's double meanings. What Isaiah is taught, what God has revealed to Isaiah is not necessarily just that time. This is a future time also. The day of the Lord. You see that term throughout Scripture. The day of the Lord. Now, I want to be honest with you. War is a terrible and horrible thing. Now, and I know at times we seem to glorify it. My kids... My kids, and by the way, this is this is recent pictures from Ukraine. And I don't care what side you're on, it doesn't matter. War is terrible. Why is war terrible? Because as men and, mil- and men and women in the military try to kill each other, they also harm the innocent. That's the terribleness of it. There are many other reasons why it's terrible, but it is a terrible thing. But if you if you talk to someone who's been through the horror of war, my grandfather on my dad's side was in the army in Europe, one of the first group to liberate Dachau. He would never talk about it, ever, because it was just too gruesome what he experienced. 
See, those that don't have the perspective that war is horrible and terrible are twisted. I mean, you could, you could be in the military and say war is terrible and horrible and have to go and fight. That's, I'm not saying we should, we should be, always be conscientious objectors. What I am saying is you have to understand war is terrible and horrible. But it's also a tool that God uses to judge nations. Also, I think it's a tool to trip up nations at times. Because maybe we shouldn't have done, maybe they shouldn't have gone in. Maybe we should not have done this. And we do it anyways in our pride and our arrogance. But what we are witnessing here in chapter 13 is that age-old conflict. See, what we have in chapter 13 is a snapshot of what has been going on in the world since the Garden of Eden. This continuing conflict that St. Augustine of Hippo, he calls it the city of God. And what this is, is it's the people rebelling against God. And also, also some of the heavenly host rebelling against God. We can see an example of this if we go to Genesis, and when God's people, when the people, not God's people, God, the people of the world at the time, on the plains of Shinar, build a city called Babylon. And they build a tower to reach the heavens. It says in uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. They were all speaking one language. People kind of wonder, what is what was that language? Don't know. If you talk to a Jewish person, they'll say it was Jew, it was Hebrew, ancient Hebrew. If you talk to a Muslim, they're going to say it, it was it was it was Arabic. I don't think it was English, by the way. And it says, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for, for mortar. It's like a tar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. God had told them, Go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And what do they do? They all come together in one place, to make a name for themselves instead of making a name for God. Pure rebellion against God. And war is a consequence of that sin. James gives us the answer to why war exists. In James 4.1, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. See, what James is saying is, God had revealed to him that you and I are are fighting a constant battle inside ourselves against our sin nature. We we will for our whole lives. And yes, there there are some sins we will overcome. But there will be some that we will just still always struggle with. The temptation will always be there. Now, we don't struggle with the sin. We struggle with the temptation. That's that's the point. It's not the point that we, we, I'm no longer tempted by anything. That's a lie. We all are tempted by something. But the point is we can overcome that temptation by the peace that comes from God. But see, if we don't have that, then what happens is as we are battling inside ourselves, we begin to battle with each other. You know, we've all experienced this in families. What happens when you're having a bad day? You make sure everybody else in the house has a bad day. Not intentionally, but it happens. 
your spouse says something to you and you're not very happy right now and you snap at them. You're not, you're not, you're not really mad at them and you, you don't not love them. It's just that you're having a bad day. Every husband can tell when their wife is having a bad day, when they're struggling. And every wife can tell when their husband's having a bad day. And we can always tell when our kids are having bad days. See, the key is to deal with it and not spread it around. But that's what war. So we're battling in our homes. Then we go and we battle out in, in, the, in the business world. Or we, we battle on the streets. And then we battle in, in, in our city, in our state, in our country. And ultimately we battle it between the nations. Because we're struggling inside. All wars, including the current conflict, no matter where it's at, because believe me, there's more than just what's going on in Ukraine. There's conflict all over the world. can be traced back to the Garden of Eden, Eden and the enmity that was placed between sinful man and God. And see, the reality is, is that war can find its source in the evil one himself. He loves war. He loves to separate. He's getting very crafty at it now. That's why from the start I've said, COVID, the source of COVID, people say, where did COVID come from? Oh, it came from him. Or at least he pushed it. Because what did it do? It separated us. It separated families. To this day, there are families who will not get back together because of COVID. And it's not because they, they you know, they're afraid to get it. It's that they, they're, because you're not vaccinated, or you're not wearing a mask, or you are wearing a mask, and you are vaccinated. We're not going to get together. There's nobody that's pleased about that except for the evil one. Now we're going to examine him next week in the next chapter. But Isaiah's going to go on. He's going to continue and share about the day of the Lord. In verse 9, he says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp and of, of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Now, how do we know that this hasn't already happened? Well, I'm not sure know about you, but I'm sure I know there are a lot of arrogant people in the world still. And I haven't woken up yet one morning where the sun at least wasn't shining somewhat. You know, it's, it's no surprise to me that Isaiah mentioned the pompous pride of man. Human pride is an insult to God. It was pride that caused Satan to fall. It was pride that caused Adam and Eve to sin, to take the fruit when God told them they shouldn't. Why? Because Satan told them, well, you'll be like God. Oh, <laughs> I can be like God. People will tell you that today. Just do your, do your research on, on some of the New Age stuff that's entering churches today. And they say, well, you've got God inside of you. You can be God. Jesus did it, and you can too, because you've got a little part of him inside of you. You can be God. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's pride. Because God is the only one who's to be highly exalted. And all humans 
should and must submit to him in obedient worship. The psalm we sang, all bow down. Guess what? The days are going to come where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess on earth, in heaven, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. And sometimes the thing, great thing about it is those of us who love Christ and are, are, are walking faithfully in it with him, we will do it gladly. The rest of them will have to do it under duress. They won't have a choice. Satan himself will bow and declare Jesus Christ Lord. Won't do him any good. His fate's been set. In Psalm 10, that's what the psalmist wrote. It says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So you can see that that question I asked at the beginning, the fact that do you, do you think that God sees what goes on? That's been a question that's been going on in the world for a long time because we don't see God act immediately. As a parent, when I see something, my kid's doing something they shouldn't do, you know, what do I do? I act on it. I stop it. I punish the one who shouldn't be doing it. And console the one who's being hurt. The problem I'm seeing in today's society is that there are people out in the world who are hurting other people and we just walk right by and don't do a thing about it. Look, watch the news and watch how many times somebody gets attacked and there are people filming them with their cameras or just walking on by. But the psalmist wants to know, why is God hiding himself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised, for the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now, that's what's happening. That's what we're seeing happening. But we know from Isaiah 13 that God is going to judge it. He is not just out there not paying attention to what's going on. We are accumulating our sins. The world is. And if you know anything about some of the really ancient writings, it is believed, and especially this is a Jewish idea, that the angels are recording everything that happens. They're recording it all in the books. And those books one day will be opened and people will be judged. Now, as we're reading chapter 13, we're reading these verses about the day of the Lord. Some of these details may sound familiar to you, especially if you've read the book of Revelation. In Revelation 6, this is what God revealed to John. John says, when he, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. Remember it said in, in Isaiah that the sun would come up and it wouldn't shine its light? Same thing. And the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. That's a wind. See, God created a natural order to things. He created things to happen a certain way, things to work a certain way. But what happened was the fall disturbed that order. The star's natural light-giving function that you see every night are going to be put out. Well, that's not normal. No, it's not. The sun itself, which is a star, will be dark. Well, that's not normal. Yeah, you're right. 
Because it's not, we're not, the world is not according to God's original order. So what is happening? What is happening between Genesis and Revelation? God is in the process of working it back to the point where it's back to its natural order. When Cain killed his brother Abel, Abel's innocent blood is crying out to God. And the blood of innocence from then until now have been still crying out to God. If you remember that scene from Revelation where, the, where John sees the, the, the people under the throne of God and they're saying, Lord, Lord, how long, how long are you going to allow this to continue? And these were the people who were martyred. And God says, a short time. He gives them a robe. I don't know why, he just does. He gives them a robe. There's a lot of symbolism in there. I don't, don't have time to go into it, but he gives them a robe. And they're content to wait until God's timing. To this day, the blood of innocence is crying out to God. God is fiercely against human injustice. Fiercely. And you and I should be also. We should oppose all injustice because God does. But see, what if what happens if we, we're walking down the street and we see someone being beaten up? Or being robbed, and we do nothing. Well, we're fine, right? No, we just didn't do what God wants us to do. Now, I'm not saying, well, maybe I'm saying. I was going to say, I'm not saying that you need to get yourself killed, but maybe you do. Maybe that's God's plan for you. Maybe that's what God wants you to do. It's his will. But what do we do when it seems that injustice is winning? What if it's outside of our control? See, the problem is, is when we don't, if we don't have a relationship with God, when we don't know God, and we see injustice growing, we become, start to become violent ourselves. Just look at what happens. They say when, let's say, for example, we have complete fallout of our society. How long do you think it takes before people who seem perfectly civil all of a sudden become looters? go house to house to try to steal. It's not going to take long, folks. Less than a month. And people will be to their base, basic instincts. If we don't trust God, we'll have no reason to not become violent ourselves. But see, God's final judgment should temper our anger and frustration when evil seems to be winning. Because what has happened? God has placed a date on his calendar when he's going to repay all the dirty deeds, all the broken promises, all the backstabbings, all the evil of this world is going to be paid back. He has placed that date. He knows the date. And that day is the day of the Lord. He's promised he's going to step into history and he's going to punish all the wrong with absolute finality. He's going to take care of it. <laughs> you understand that you know, in our world today, so we, we, somebody breaks the law. Some, let's say somebody breaks in and steals something. So you, you take them and you take them to court. They go to court. They get arrested. They go to court. They get their sentence. Sometimes it's probably probation or maybe even it's you know, jail time. But what happens when they get out? If there's not people around them that kind of help them to go the right path, they'll go right back into where they were. That's the world today. 
But what's going to happen when God comes, when Jesus comes on the day of the Lord, what's going to happen is there is no other option. This is it. He's going to eliminate all the sin. He's going to eliminate all the repeating. It's done. This is the day of the Lord or the day of our Lord Jesus Christ as it's mentioned in the New Testament. And it's because of that day, because of what's going to happen on the day, that you and I can do what Paul tells us to do in Romans 12. Now, a lot of times I've I've read this in my life and I think, well, you know, people who do this are just really nice people. And, And to be honest with you, yeah, they are, they may be, but I think that probably the reason we're able to do this is because God is the ultimate judge and God will take care of it in the end. This is what Paul tells us to do. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Hard to do, isn't it? Somebody is persecuting you, picking on you, doing things, saying things about you, talking behind your back. What do we want to do? I want to curse them. I want them to stop. What does God tell us to do? Bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That's the one that kills me. I think we have a lot of people who are smart beyond their education, beyond their wisdom. We think, I would say, you think much more highly of yourself than you should. Or if you're a a fan of the Princess Bride, I don't think that word means exactly what you think it means. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I, I, I know there are times when we need to go to war, but what amazes me is the number of people who don't even want to think about that option of peace. They don't even want to hear it. We need to go in kick some backsides, and take, and take names later. You know, we just, we just need, to, we need to wipe them out. Really? There's nothing that says that those tables won't be turned on us one day. There's no guarantee that this nation is even going to be here tomorrow. Especially if you look back at Isaiah 13. I'm not so sure that we have kept God's laws and kept ourselves faithful as a nation. Beloved, never... Avenge yourselves. Never. But leave it to the wrath of God. Ah, the wrath of God. That is the day of the Lord. God is saying, don't revenge yourselves because I'm going to take care of it on the day of the Lord. That's why we can do these things because he's going to take care of it. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to tell you a story about experiencing this, and I'm, going to, I'm not going to give you names because it doesn't matter, but there was somebody who was struggling with a neighbor that I knew. They were struggling. This, this neighbor was a scoundrel, a downright scoundrel. 
So I told him, I told this, this couple, I said, listen, why don't you bake him an apple pie and take it to him? Well, why would I do that? Because um, I think you need to, he needs to see that you're not as bad as he thinks you are because he thinks he's perfectly in his rights to treat you that way. And as a pastor, you always got to watch what you tell people because they'll put you on the spot and, he, and the person says, well, will you go with me? <laughs> well, what am I going to say? No? I mean, I'm telling them to do something. I guess I better do it too. So I said, sure, I'll go with you. So pie was baked. We took it down. We knocked on the door. He really, he didn't want to answer. He came out. He's like, what do you want? And I, I didn't say anything. Um, I let the person talk, and they handed the pie to him and says, this is the pie. We made this for you. So what's this for? I said, we just, just thought you would like a pie. No, I, I, really, I really don't want it. Okay, that's fine. Just wanted you to know that we cared, and we wanted to make you a pie. We walk away, we're getting halfway down the driveway, and the door opens again, and the guy says, hey, thank you. And that was it. It was about, I think about five or six months later, we find out that that guy is going to a church somewhere now and has gave his life to Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we caused that, but I'm telling you that I'm sure we had a, made him have a different outlook on life than he had before. Feed your enemy. Don't curse them. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Isaiah, in verse 12 of chapter 13, is going to continue to describe the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's wrath. He says, I will make people more rare than fine gold, and mankind, and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place. Ah, remember back in Revelation, it says there's going to be an earthquake. Okay. God is consistent. He doesn't lie. At the wrath of the Lord of the hosts in the day of his fierce anger. And like a hunted gazelle or like sheep with none to gather them, each will turn to his own people and each will flee to his own land. Whoever is found will be thrust through and whoever is caught will fall by the sword. Their in, this is pretty gruesome. The infants will be dashed in pieces because of their eyes, before their eyes, and their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. People are going to be scattered and confused on the day of the Lord. Think about what it was like at the at the end at the at the Tower of Babel. What happened? All of a sudden, all their the people are speaking all these different languages and they're confused. And maybe it may have been your own family member who was speaking a different language, so you could no longer communicate. But you start hearing other, you could kind of understand what this person says, so you kind of gathered over there, and you gathered to your own people. And then you went out and spread out throughout the world. That's what it will be like in the day of the Lord, the day of His wrath. People will be confused, they will scatter. Wild animals will hunt them down. And the population of the world is going to be greatly reduced. We see the numbers. We look at Revelation, we can actually see the numbers. Revelation 6, 7 through 8 says that 25% at that time of the population, and, and we can't, I'm not really going to give you the numbers because the question is, are you a pre-tribulation rapture believer or post or whatever you are? Needless to say, let's say all of us were here. 
you know, it doesn't matter because, or if some of us were gone because of the rapture, it doesn't matter because it's, it's just a, a percentage. 25% of the people will be killed by war, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. 25%. If there are 7 billion people in the world, calculate that. Close to 21 million people will die. Revelation 9.18 says, Of those that are still left over, a third of those will be killed by plagues. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You start going through, you start seeing, well, what, you know, that was that. Well, then there's other things that happen. The, the end results of all these things, that the day of the Lord, all this wrath that's coming down, so much so that Jesus, in Matthew 24, says, he says that if I don't return, there wouldn't be anybody left. There would be no mankind left. That is what the day of the Lord will be like. He says that if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. But now we go back. Isaiah is going to go back to Babylon. He says in verse 17, Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them, who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will have no pity on children. And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the splendor and the pomp of the Chaldeans, will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. They do not really know where Babylon is. There's some places they think it is in southern um, Iraq. Saddam Hussein, when he was in power, he tried to rebuild the city. It's more of a museum now. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there, and their houses will be full of howling creatures. Their ostriches will dwell, and their wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers, and the jackals in the pleasant pleasant palaces. Its, its time is close at hand, and its days will not be prolonged. Babylon will fall. And we get a, a great a great image here of ultimately Babylon has always been a symbol of the, the rebellion against God. And we have a future Babylon that's going to occur and that too is going to suffer the same fate. Now while Judah is going to suffer at the hands of the Babylonians, which they deserve because they sinned, they had, God had every right to punish them because they turned away from God, God's going to not allow, he's not going to allow the Babylonians to prosper forever. The Roman Empire thought it was going to last forever. The Greeks thought they were going to last forever. The Jews thought they were going to last forever because they were God's chosen people. He will raise up the Medes to be his tool. And ultimately we know that the Medes will restore Israel back. Understand this. I want you to understand some things from these passages. First of all, the true character of our leaders, of our leaders who's, who use their power for unrighteous natural, national glorification, they may think of themselves as patriots, but the reality is that they are traitors against God. You must be careful. God's law trumps all other law. They're going to reap a bitter harvest of national shame and sorrow. We should see the folly in believing that we can justify how we deal wickedly with other nations. 
We, we also could do that for ourselves. We should understand we, 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 there's folly in how we treat somebody who treats us unkindly. We're supposed to bless them, feed them, pray for them. God is the ultimate judge, and he is going to judge the nations, and he's going to judge the people, not us. And God is the one who sets kings and nations in place according to his will. And the day is coming when his judgment is actually going to be vetted out on all evil. There's no guarantee that as a country we're going to be here. There's no guarantee that we're going to be here tomorrow. We need, we need to follow God's law. We need, and I don't just mean the Ten Commandments, I mean it goes deeper than that. We need to teach each other to obey everything Jesus taught. Peter wrote, and this is pretty profound, As I, when I found this, I'm thinking, man, this is very profound. I want to end with this and then we'll do communion. It says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. This is Peter talking. It's, it's time for judgment to begin with us. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who, will, who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter's saying, you know, we're, we're going to come under judgment. Now, now granted, we have, we have the blood of Christ that covers all of our sins. But what about all those people who don't follow God? How bad is it going to be for them? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, just by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin, what would become of the ungodly and the sinner? And this is the answer here that he gives. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. He's saying we're going to suffer in this life. There's a there's a an idea being taught in many churches called the law of attraction where if you just if you just think positive things you'll have a positive life. God wants you to be successful, wants you to be rich, wants you to be happy. And 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 that's also it's also I talked talked about last week. That's the 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 theology of power. It's wrong. The theology of the cross says in this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. So as we are suffering in our lives, as we are dealing with the struggles in our lives, we need to entrust our very souls to God who's our faithful creator while what? While we do good. It's a terrible thing to be in the hands of a wrathful God. It's a terrible thing that's going to happen to this world and to those who don't believe on the day of the Lord. It's a horrible, awful thing, but it's just. But see, you and I, 
If, you're, if you believe in Christ, if you turn to Him and you trust in Him for your salvation, if in your heart you truly, truly believe that Jesus is Lord, and if you can proclaim that with your lips and not be lying, you're saved. You're saved from your sins and you're saved from the wrath of God that will come on the day of the Lord. And that is what we celebrate with communion. The fact that we are saved. We have a Savior who came, who took all of our sins on the cross, who took the full wrath of God on Him, on the cross, and all we need to do is submit to Him. To follow Him. To become little Christ. Christians, that's what that word means. We're following Him in His footsteps. And that means we need to take up our cross daily and follow Him while we are doing good. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.